In today's episode, once again, we speak to Kyra Wackett. Kyra is a therapist, public speaker, community advocate. She holds a master's degree in counseling psychology and is a licensed therapist specializing in eating disorders, anxiety disorders, and trauma. She has been speaking on topics related to mental health and well-being for over 10 years and focuses on balancing insight and action to create a meaningful and sustainable change. And today, Kyra is talking to us about five steps to shame resilience. Let's speak to Kyra and find out. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession, or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Girl Khan, your money mindset expert. And once again, we have the amazing, we have the beautiful, we have the charming Kara Wackett. Welcome, Kara. Hi, I'm so glad to be back again. And thank you so much for coming back here. We had such a fantastic conversation on Friday Feature that we had to have you back for Money Talkies. Kara, everyone's heard your intro. They know how fabulous you are. But please, in your own words, tell everybody what it is that you do. I know we talked about this a little bit in the Friday feature, but thinking about myself as a person who personally, professionally, all around, I describe myself as somebody focused on shame resilience. So as a therapist, as a mom, as a partner, as just a friend, anybody in the world, a person interacting with your delivery driver, I really see myself as being a person that's studying, learning, and trying to unravel the sort of tethering that we all feel with shame. And that leads us on to today's topic, which is five steps to to shame resilience. Now, we talked about shame quite a bit, actually, in Friday Feature, you know, how important a uh, role, integral role it plays in your life. And sometimes without even you knowing, it, it can impact the way you view the world, the way, the way you view yourself. And the kind of life you believe you can lead as well. I think it just impacts so many different parts of you and makes influences your decision at such a profound, integral level that you don't even realize until you've done some healing around it that, oh my God, it impacted me so much that it, I, it, your life-changing, your life-changing decisions are based on um, influences uh, you know, because of the shame. So how does someone even recognize that shame is playing a part in their life. And I asked this question as leading on from the from the conversation on, on Friday. I did not know until I did the healing recently that most of my yeah. decisions in my life, life-impacting ones, were based around this idea of being a good girl and not bringing shame upon my family. And it's one of the biggest things that I still this day I have is a point that I'm, I've talked about my partner, my ex-husband said about how my, my children would be embarrassed because of me, because I've been divorced twice. And it's a factor which goes in my brain and I'm still worried about it, that if my daughter tomorrow picks a Pakistani or an Indian partner, they're, the, you know, if, they, if it's from South Asian um, subcontinent, they will view me 
uh, somehow uh, of lesser value because I've been divorced twice. So my shame will impact mm-hmm. my daughter and her happiness. Now, that's a profound thing. And I recognize that I have really to do around it. My daughter doesn't give a damn. She goes, she's very yeah. proud of me because you did nothing wrong, mom. And I know I did nothing wrong. I don't, but I shouldn't even have to justify myself to people who did nothing wrong. Yeah. I have, but right. I, I am and to myself and trying to work out like, oh, I hope she doesn't. And I'm secretly hoping she doesn't pick up Pakistani or Indian guy because I don't want to explain myself to his family. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how my whole life has revolved around shame. Yeah. Yeah. And that the more we do this, the more we realize that most of our lives, most of the people around us, their lives has all been resolved around shame or revolved, revolved resolved. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that we, you know, now we, we talked about this briefly before, but it's the idea that we are born with the sole purpose of securing our basic needs and connection yes. Yes. is one of our basic and primary needs. Yes. And so you come into a system that is, I think we've sort of confused collective with external approval. So there's collectivistic Mm -hmm. cultures. There's this notion of everybody being a part of something Mm -hmm. and playing a role and doing those things, but we've sort of lost sight of celebrating individuality, authenticity, promoting individuals to feel good about themselves and be a part of their community. And I think it's a thing, you know, when you study both sides, individualistic and collectivistic cultures, there's obviously beautiful elements to both. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost on either side is on every end, we're looking to feel like we belong in the world as we are, but we're figuring out who that is. And every time we get an entry point of data that says, Oh, well, this person is better than this person. This person does this. You have to do this for me to love you. You, you know, think about us as kids and the expectations on us as kids, whether it was our parents or caregivers, our teachers, whoever it might be. And as you got older, and so shame is really this constant surveyor in your brain. It's a subset of our fear that's looking for ways that you're going to screw up because we're in a system that says nobody is good enough unless they meet X, Y, Z expectations. And so we're all sort of chasing this feeling, but it's like a yardstick that keeps moving. As someone in recovery from an eating disorder, that's how eating disorders work, is you'll just you'll get to that point. If I can just get to this size or this weight or this thing, then I'll be fine. And then you get there and then you're negotiating to the next spot and the next spot. And so it's this notion of you start to chase an element of perfection. If you can reach this point, then you'll be fine. You can take a breath. You'll be deserving. You'll be wanted. You'll be, you'll be a part of it. So then you do, you chase or you get to some X spot and then you're just afraid you're going to lose it all. So both sides, you're just constantly playing into the fear of rejection, the fear of not being good enough. And all of it is rooted to feeling like we don't have both, I think the right and permission, but also the capacity to choose for ourselves to mm. honor what we think and feel, but that instead we have to rely on the systems around us. And that's what I think really gets us stuck. Again, it could be these big ticket items we're talking about, like abusive relationships, eating mm. disorders, but it could be 
complacency in daily life, being in a sort of a loveless, like we're good friends. We manage our kids well, but we don't really love each other, but I'll, mm-hmm. I, but it's fine. You know, I can deal with that. Or I don't really love my job. I feel unfulfilled in this way. I don't enjoy eating, you know, all these little things, but it's fine. And that I think that that's sometimes even a bigger threat than the larger ticket items, because it becomes even easier to talk ourselves into the sting, the complacency, the shame, because it's quote unquote, not that bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, it's interesting you're saying this. When I look around, and I'm specifically talking about South Asian culture here, because those are the most of the marriages I'm looking at, vast majority of those marriages are compromised based on, okay, so we don't love each other. We don't, you know, we've grown apart, but, you know, we're here together for the sake of children. And mm-hmm. that's it. And it would be too mm-hmm. much shame for us to divorce now. And it's that mm-hmm. shame attached to separation that they that they don't go ahead, and they and they talk about the Western world how you know divorce is so too common, people don't compromise, people don't work together, da, da, da. but the needs are not being met within that marriage. Right, nobody cares about you know what's that all about? You know, you know, life is a test, and life, you know, all these sort of comments are thrown about, and it, and I wonder how many of those people are judging others and therefore, you know, create shame on themselves that if I'm judging this X, Y, and Z, God forbid, if I ever left my husband or my wife, mm-hmm. then the shame around this would be horrendous. I will be judged in the same way. And that's why right. they don't, um, you know, budge from their own. And they're, they're quite happy to have extramarital affairs. So affairs go on, but um, they're not going mm-hmm. to leave the marriage. But that's just one scenario that, I mean, a, a shame has plays a role in a whole different ways. Of uh, Another one is um, starting a business. Uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. listening to this podcast. And I know, you know, everyone listening to it has an idea or wants to create a business, but the shame of leaving their profession, you know, whatever profession they have, which they worked on for the past 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and then trying a a profession, a a business which may not work. And the shame attached Mm -hmm. to that failure stops them from Mm -hmm. their tracks, stops them from even trying and keeps them in that, you know, maybe mind-numbing job which they despise for the last five years. Right, absolutely. And you, you start to, again erode the capacity and the space for for dreaming for goal setting Mm. for longing in any way to create the safety net you know i think about if i have a circle around me and i just you know of grass and i'm constantly trimming the grass and and i'm watering it and i'm taking care of it it's probably going to be an incredibly beautiful patch of grass but I'm never leaving that space. I'm never doing anything more. I'm never allowing myself to, I'm sort of expecting myself to stay in a timestamp, be the mm-hmm. same person and want the same things for the rest of your life. And also assuming that a misstep, a failure, a blip, whatever you'd want to call it, is then going to mark me for the rest of my life. You know, mm-hmm. when I think about things like I, also ran an art business and I love to paint. I love to create. I had thought about, you know, I kind of dreamed to go to art school and I got into art school. And then we talked about this briefly in our last episode about how I continued to sell myself on the doctor sort of pursuit. And so I talked myself out of these things a lot. And as I got older, I started an art business. I was painting, doing shows. I loved it. And COVID happened. And the world changed around a lot of things, but particularly around art. And I had my daughter two weeks before the pandemic hit. 
And my life just looks different. My life would have looked different even if there wasn't a pandemic by having a kid enter my life and how I would have structured my time. But I started to realize that I wanted art to be mine again, not something that I was doing for the sale, not something that I just, I wasn't in love with an art business. I was still in love with art, but I resented it as a business. So giving myself permission to say, I'm gonna close my art business or giving myself permission to say, I, you know, in my business now, I would say I'm like, I just launched my new program that I spent the last year building. And I would say that's the first, I spent a year building it. And that was big for me because I was very much the, what's the next thing to do to make the sale, to do it better, to advance your business, blah, blah, blah. I tried, you know, memberships that were great in theory, but they weren't the right thing. I try, you know, I'm going to offer this thing and this thing and these events and this thing. And it would, you'd come to my website and you'd be like, I don't quite know exactly what you do because you do too many things and I don't know where to start. I'm overwhelmed by the idea of what this even looks like. So I'm doing to them the same thing their brain's already doing. But the idea of admitting that, of saying, gosh, I started this business and I didn't get it right right away. Here's round two, round three. And like, honestly, building this program and getting clear on my business is like round eight of what I'm doing. And I finally feel like I found it for now. I'm sure that will evolve and change. Of course. But it's that it's saying, you know, what does it mean to close down another business? What does it mean? And my biggest thing when I let go of being a doctor, when I close this business, I would constantly find myself rooting to this fear of, I don't want people to think I couldn't do it. I'm okay doing this. I'm okay not wanting to be a doctor. I'm okay picking a different field. But I want everybody to know that I could have been if I Mm. wanted to. And that was very different in terms of, again, still externally driven. And that is really what led me to down the therapy path, getting in the room with clients, thinking about change, thinking about my own change to be like, wait a minute, what, what are we missing here when we're talking about how we deal with shame and how we get out of these patterns and systems? Because there's a lot out there. There's a lot of noise, but there's a lot of great stuff too coaches, programs, and yet we're still missing it. We're missing the mark. There's something we're not getting at. And I, I've i come to find out it roots back to that shame. It roots back to these mm. visceral, full-body, fear-based reactions of what would happen if we broke out of the norm we've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years living under. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that and totally understand that. And I think um, before we start on the five steps, I just want to share something else. I mean, I'm a money person. I I, I talk about money mindset. The amount of shame that's attached to our money yeah. stories and how we grew up and how much money we did or we didn't have, unbelievable. And then, you know, when we talk, go through it, you know, every aspect of our life has money shame attached to it. And letting go of yeah. that shame is one of the biggest Biggest hurdles, I would say, but biggest, you know, Mm -hmm. milestones, if you overcome and you're able to overcome that shame, especially growing up as a child, and that could be money, having money and not having money. It works both ways, by the way. Yeah, right. It is, it has the greatest impact on your financial well-being, and it's all rooted around shame, but specifically around money shame. And Mm -hmm. that's when we we started this discussion about shame, and I realized shame can come and so bite your backside in so many different forms in career yeah. in personal relationships in your money stories a lack of or too much money or you know how good you were you weren't good were you academically able or not academically able did you have learning difficulties you didn't have learning difficulties and so forth 
And I, I talk about something called, you know, embrace thine ugly. One of the ugliest things about me growing up was I'm I'm so dyslexic, which is interesting because I'm a lawyer. And I didn't know I was to, I was even dyslexic until my first year of law degree. That's when I was assessed to be uh, not just dyslexic, but severely dyslexic. And mm-hmm. so I took, and I literally openly talk about being dyslexic and how, you know, I can't tell the difference between left and right and my numbers around and my, I still can't spell and da, da, da. I, I'm not embarrassed about it. And someone even criticizes me. I'm like, yeah, I'm dyslexic. But I had to yeah. work at owning it. So when you yeah. own something, you can no longer be shamed about it. And mm-hmm. this is why I'm trying. I haven't quite got there yet because I realized, I thought I had until this element of my, my daughter growing up and, you know, potentially you know, having boyfriends and partner, thinking that the those thoughts sort of striking in my head, that, oh my God, you know, hopefully she won't. And when I caught myself saying, I hope she doesn't ever, you know, fall for a Pakistani or Indian. I'm like, why not? Because I don't want to explain, which means that I still have to work around owning the shame around it. But one, like, you know, just before we go on about it, as long as you can embrace the ugliness about you, that you think is ugly, by the way, it's not necessarily ugly, just, you know, I want to reiterate that point. It's not necessarily ugly, but you feel it's ugly about you. If you embrace that ugly, as, as soon as you embrace it, and you soon, as soon as you face it, you're no longer embarrassed about it. Shame loses all its power. You're, you're muted, Kyra. Whoops, there you go. <laughs> the the shame of also those little things. You go, oh, shoot, I just messed up. And then you release it. So just the example of how quick <laughs> it can come in. But I think one of the things that happens is shame only grows in the darkness, mm. in the darkness of our brain, because mm. the stories that we tell ourselves, the the realities that we tell ourselves and how quick we can get there. Mm. That is, you know, I had, I got a one-star review. I sell therapeutic workshop worksheets on Etsy on my website too, but I was like, all right, we'll try it on Etsy. It's a, you know, passive income source and Mm. blah, blah, blah. And I, and they're therapy worksheets. It's not necessarily what people go to Etsy for, but they've done well. Mm. And then I got, I got a one-star review a little over a year ago now and I kid you not, I sat here right in the same spot we're talking right now. I was maybe 10, 12 minutes after seeing it, I had figured out how to shut my business down, all the ramifications of canceling contracts for the next year. I had let this one, because this one person saw behind the curtain, everything I was trying to protect against. They gave me a one-star review. Looking at it now, they might've actually thought it was one star quality. They might've also had a really crappy day and they, you know, just did something and whatever. And I read it and like, there are things about, it didn't even matter what they said. It was the fact that I saw something that said, you have spent your whole life telling yourself you're one star. Now that it's out in the world, now it feels real. Mm. The same happens in reverse. Once you put the shame thought out in the world, it does the opposite it becomes sort of unreal. We untether to it. So I got the one-star review. My brain internally went to, you're a piece of garbage. Everybody saw it. Do you see it? Like, here's the proof. 10, 12 minutes in, I am knee deep in how to shut down my entire business because of one person I've never met on Etsy who didn't Mm -hmm. like something on something that was happening. And then you go, holy cow, I'm willing to give my entire self to somebody else, my entire business that I've worked for, I'm willing to let it go over one person's review. And then you say out loud, you know, you go, why? Well, because this person represents everything I've told myself 
is the problem with me. This person represents the seeing, the knowing that I have tried to protect against my whole life. And now they know. I've, I've thought it, I've thought about, you know, why would somebody hire me? Why am I speaking at this event? Why am I the one with these clients? But now this person saw it, this person called me out and more will follow. So then you start to say that out loud and then it's okay, but what evidence do we have? And you start to walk through a process of challenging it. The more you start to do that part out loud, instead of just accepting the shame thought at at its face value, that's when we start to see it leave us. You know, like saying out loud about your daughter and thinking these things. Okay, well, walk through that. Why is that a problem? Okay, well, and then you go deeper and you go, how is that rooted to your shame? How is that rooted to the systems? How is that rooted to the culture? Okay, great. What do we want to do about it? And I'm starting to kind of get into the five steps here, even that we're going to talk about, but it's that it's the naming at first, the being willing to sit down and put it down on paper, put it out into the world. That is step one of even being able to make it so that shame is no longer the driver Mm. of your life. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. And and, and let's go into the five steps now. But when you were talking, the song, you know from the movie Frozen? Let it go. Yes. That, that, you know, yes. I think that really represents everything to do with shame and mm-hmm. you know, who we are, and, you know, being the good girl and trying to please everyone and doing everything right. And now that everyone knows, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. song is, if, if there's a song for shame, that letting go shame, I think I think that song represents it and it's really, really powerful. And it, it did really well when it first came out. Uh, but for that reason, because I think so many people can relate to it, because shame has so many different faces, and it can come and come to us in all different forms. That song sort of hit everyone's heart because it just, just represents what we have been feeling for you know for the longest time. But yeah, let's get into the five steps. So step number one is recognizing, yes. and verbalizing what we feel and what exactly is shame. Is that right? Yeah. So basically I think about kind of steps one and two are really kind of the amalgamation of what we were just talking about. So step one is really name your problem. What is the actual, what's going on? What are you upset about? What do you not like? What's not working out for you? And the big question that I ask people when they're doing step one is why, Mm -hmm. you know, so somebody, let's say, we'll just talk body image, for example. And we know that new year's resolutions, there's a lot of people that are either in them, have let them go or feeling shame about what they did or didn't do right now is as we record this in January. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about this notion of, you know, okay, well, we know that there's sort of an ideal body type. We don't necessarily agree with it, but we know it exists. We know Mm -hmm. that quote unquote health has been sort of dictated to us in a specific way. So when somebody's like, okay, I want to lose 15 pounds this year, or I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to change the way I eat, I'm cutting out meat, or I'm doing X, Y, and Z, you know, so they're starting to get to a goal. They're jumping ahead a little bit. First, walk back and say, what's the problem? What is the issue? And so the point there for us is to get clear on, is the issue an internal problem or an external problem? So someone Mm. might say, oh, you know, I'm... I feel really fat. I don't feel good. I want to date again. And I'm feeling like I'm not able to be seen. I don't, that's external. My worth is dependent on being in a certain body. It could be, you know, I'm just noticing that I feel sluggish. I'm not really, I don't enjoy my food anymore. I've stopped really giving my body the time and space to be nurtured, whether that's sleep, food, movement. 
I just, it doesn't feel right. And I feel like my relationship with my body is suffering and I want to change that. Those are two very different problem and pain points, but they, the goal might look the same. Mm -hmm. So first is what's the actual thing that's causing you problems and why is it a problem? So not, well, I'm fat. What does that mean to you? What is that? So we can start to then look at step two. Step two is then where did that come from? And I think for many of us, when we really think about our pain points, when we really think about, you know, I feel like the thing that I'm working through now around my mom's shame and a little bit as a business owner, but I had to work through it as a partner, as a daughter, as a daughter-in-law, as a friend, a sister-in-law, all these different roles where I was constantly feeling resentful. I would feel this way even when I worked for other people, when I worked in kind of clinic settings or even other jobs prior to becoming a therapist. I was the kid in school that you'd get into the group and you just assume that they're going to do the whole project. That Mm -hmm. was who I was in relationships. Well, they're just, they'll do it all. They're the planner. They're the ones I went to Hawaii with my husband and I and four of our friends. And I planned the whole trip for everybody. And so there's this degree of, you know, I feel like I'm the one that everybody counts on to do everything. And I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't feel like anybody notices me. And I feel like if I don't do it, it won't get done. Mm -hmm. And that nobody cares enough to show up and do it anyways. That's the pain point. So let's say I get to that in part one. Point two is then, well, where does that come from? And also really why, where, what role am I playing in it? So then you think about, well, how did I get to a place? This isn't the first time I've done this. Mm -hmm. I felt this way in relationships. Again, since I was the middle schooler assigned in the group assignment and I was the one doing it all. Well, I grew up in trauma. I grew up in chaos and my way of managing it, I was parentified. I was very much the person that took care of my mom. When I lived with my grandma, I took care of my grandma. I had to be the one that had it together. I also learned how to not be an inconvenience. So Mm. taking care of everything, essentially being the project manager of every relationship was how you got your worth. But then secondly, it keeps everybody at a distance. They don't know anything about me. I'm not vulnerable to them. I'm just the one that does it all and does it all well. And so then you kind of reflect on, well, what's what's both the impact of this? Well, I don't, you know, I am in relationships where I feel like I don't want to be seen. I'm scared if they see me. Mm-hmm. I learned, you know, that my shame is really rooted to X, Y, and Z. So it's in the case, if we use the Hawaii trip planning example, it's I feel like I, I love doing these things but that doesn't even matter. It's, I feel like I have to do these things. I am responsible for everybody having a good time. And that's really what you get at. So the problem, right? I don't feel seen. I'm burnt out. Why is nobody else helping with this? Why is it an issue for me? Because I feel alone in this. I feel like I am worried about it. Well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that I feel like I'm responsible for everyone's happiness. I have to be the one that does it all. And I can't ask for help. I have to handle it. Mm. So that's really kind of where we get at by part two. So I think about it almost like part one, you're saying, what's your problem statement? Part two is what's the impact statement? How did we get here? And what's the impact it has had? Okay. And then you go, okay, what do you want to do about that? Because addressing that is very different from addressing those surface pain points. You know, Mm. oh, I'm not making enough money in my business. Start a new program. Do this thing. Have you tried funnels? Are you looking at your marketing? Well, that's very different than saying, I feel like I have to make more money or my business isn't worthy. I feel like I left the corporate world and I decided to start my own business. My worth in that, my approval, my validation is dependent on me, quote unquote, making it. Mm. Again, very different goal and response. So then you start to write your goal around 
what are your values? Who do you want to be and how do you want to show up in the world? And how do we tie whatever your next steps are to that? So when I think about, again, the example of planning the trip to Hawaii, I don't want to feel like it's automatically my responsibility Mm. to do everything for everyone. And I want to be okay when and if I do something and people are disappointed. On the flip side, I don't want to resent someone else if I don't do it, if they either don't do it or they don't do it my way. Mm. I want to allow for things to happen that aren't the way that I need them to be because this sort of microcosm of controlling everything in this little spot isn't proving to get me what I'm looking for. So you get clear on that and you are right. So this is what I want. And really specifically, again, tying it back to your values. And for me, it's I value connection more than I value control. I My shame loves control, but I know that the thing I've been seeking is connection where I don't have to be everything. Mm. Connection where I can learn that I can get sick and not be panicked that I don't work for a few days and my business is going to crumble. Or I can be honest about if I don't want to do something and my friendship isn't dependent on me doing everything that everybody else wants me to do and doing it well. Then you move into step four, which is saying, okay, so now you've gotten a roadmap. You really, a lot of what I do is I think about the integration of our self. You mentioned self-forgiveness kind of being Mm -hmm. a key thing for us that we have to do. Well, one thing that often happens is when we jump to action or change too quickly in our life, when we try to bulldoze past shame and say, oh, it's not that, it's not this deep wound. It's just, I got to be better at time management. I got to be better at marketing. I got to be better at, you know, setting a boundary, blah, blah, blah. Well, when we kind of blow past that and focus over here, we aren't really turning towards our past self and finding forgiveness and and really integrating who we are and then thinking about who we want to be. We're just focused on what we call avoidant goals. So it's, I just want to get anywhere but here. I got to mm. get somewhere that's not this. Instead, we say, this is who I am, what I've learned, how I've showed up in the world, how I'm making sense of my life to this point. And now because of that, I can get clear on where I want to go, given all of those things and who I am as a result of those pieces of myself. So then you really start to create this notion of, So how do I move from here to there? What's my roadmap? What's my plan? And how do I bring my full self into that? The me that was, you know, if we use our examples, did go through trauma, did have addictions, did have abusive relationships, did have all the shame. How do I bring that person with me with love and grace and to then factor that person into who I'm going to be as I grow forward? Mm -hmm. You know, for you and you thinking about your daughter, it's thinking about, you know, sure, maybe the goal is to get to a point where you feel fine, whoever she loves. Maybe the point is to say, I don't want to allow the stories I've been told about my merit and value being an indicator about the happiness that she gets to have. And I want to break that belief. I want to break that system. And now how do you do that? And then, and that really oftentimes requires us to go back and say, what do we have to let go of that we couldn't control? What are the things that we have to radically accept about our lives? And so even thinking, if we go back to your faith, your religion, your culture, mm-hmm. there are things that you know will be true, no matter what you do with it. She, You could be completely fine with everything that has ever happened in your life, and she might still face that, that form of judgment, that form yeah. of difficulty, that that is out of your control. And so mm-hmm. the, the other goal is to get to a point where you aren't trying to fix 
or get fixated on something that we can't do anything about. So that's really kind of step four is, okay, well, how do I get there? And how do I get really clear on what I can and can't control? What's mine and what's not? What Mm -hmm. do I have to learn to grieve and let go of? And then really the step number five is the one that everybody rushes to in the beginning, but then it's action. It's okay. What do I need to do? And particularly, I think about this as it breaks down to mindset, which is a big thing you talk about. How do we need to reframe our thoughts? What's the internal Mm -hmm. narrative? It's emotional intelligence. It's how do I reconnect to my emotional self and my physical self to Mm -hmm. really lean into my body. It's actions, thinking about our boundaries, the communication style. It's all these very tangible skills that, again, we want to learn how to do and implement. And it's making sure that we're learning how to implement them in ways that line up with where we're trying to go. And then the final step is our connections. It's thinking about what edits, additions, deletions do I have to make to my connections to support myself in being able to be this person, to embody this value, to live this life. And there might be, you know, I'm just going to use your example as an example. There might be people in your family that it feels really painful about, but that you are not going to be able to have the same conversations with. You don't share the same things with them. You might not allow for people to know, you know, if your daughter is dating somebody, what that looks like, what that means. You might not invite them into that conversation. That might feel sad for you because you want to celebrate her happiness as she does move out into the world and do those things. And a boundary you might have to set and a change you might have to do is say, gosh, I spent my life wanting to feel connected to my dad, my brother, people in my family. And I want them to see me and to see my daughter and to see the life that we have as worthy and to approve of that. I have to release that and recognize that there are some boundaries about what I can and can't give of myself and share of myself with them because I'm not going to get that in the ways that I wanted. And I'm going to learn how to love me and to love them for what our relationship is instead of being upset when I do those things and our relationship isn't what I wanted it to be. So it's a very, again, it's not like, you know, get up, put the coffee on, do this, this, and then everything's fine. It's a very involved five steps, but it is this very, what I call an iterative process. I revisit it every day. When I get frustrated building a marble run with my kid up in her room and I want to break the toy in half because it's not stacking the way it's supposed to using these five steps. What is the actual issue? Why am I feeling bad? What's the goal here when I'm playing with my kid? How do I focus on the goal and not get sideswept by shame? What do I need to do? And how do I set myself up to do that now and in the future? And then again, in the large scale things, doing some big thing with your business, buying a house, leaving a marriage, you know, dating again, these bigger items too. It all comes back to this sort of five phase thinking process that really allows us to align with ourselves rather mm. than get caught up in shame and external validation. I think that's beautiful. I, I think I think it is. If every step leads to the next one. And mm-hmm. I and I love the idea of of understanding where you are, why you're feeling this way, and then recognizing what's within your control and what's with you know what's mm-hmm. beyond your control. I think this is key. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. I mean, my daughter's only 15, so it's hopefully a, a long while until she does date. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when she does eventually, it is beyond my control. I will not be able to dictate mm-hmm. who she does and does not get involved with. And if they are of from South Asian background, how they will react and what their mentality would be around divorce women or double divorce women and God forbid, mm-hmm. you know, 
from well, South Asian standard, if I was remarried, so if I'd married by then, I was married for the third time. Oh my God, you know, that's really low character then, you know, how mm-hmm. dare I marry for the third time? What their idea of me would be, it's beyond my control. There's nothing I can do about mm-hmm. it. And it's, it's those moments that we have to really recognize they are pivotal because they can either diminish us and feel like we control nothing and we spiral downwards or they empower mm-hmm. us because we realize, you know what, that's beyond my control. But there is mm-hmm. something that I can control, which is my reaction and, you know, my my daughter's reaction and the people around me. So I can educate her, make sure that she's, you know, she interacts with open-minded intelligent educated people who will see beyond the social norms and who will see beyond Mm -hmm. this um you know this limited thinking and would be able to recognize individual character rather than based on what the mother did or didn't do um but more based on what the individual is so it's recognizing that you know that what's in your control what's beyond your control i think is a key factor that leads you on to what actions you can and cannot take um and i think this is this is beautiful, and when we we when we start implementing this strategy in our daily life, on small mm-hmm. things like you said, with doing with your daughter, then you're able to take those five steps and implement them on larger, more difficult situations like your job, like your business, like your personal life, make mm-hmm. your dating life, like your children, and so forth, because you've rehearsed it, you've learned how to manage emotions on a daily basis on a smaller scale then you're able to deal with the larger emotions on a, on on the life-changing aspects as well. I think it's beautiful. I think it's yeah. really beautiful. So just very quick summary of these five steps again, please. Yeah, so I really break them down into kind of five words because I love that. It's easy to recall. Mm-hmm. So I think about step one is identify. Identify your problem. Step two, build. Build your insight into where it came from, how it's impacted you. Step three, define, define your goals and specifically who you want to be. Step four, clarify. How are you going to get there? What are the things you need, the tools, the skills? And then step five is do. It's the action, the implementation step of everything that we've just defined in the process. Wonderful. Now on that note, we're going to wrap this up. It's phenomenal system, Kara. I absolutely love it. And it's been a fascinating conversation. But Kara, tell us, everybody, um, how can we connect with you? How can you find out um, how we can work with you if you want to work on this at a deeper level? They can visit my website. The I, As I mentioned, I just launched my new program in January 2023, and it is built on these five steps. It is this process entirely in-depth, taking you through it to begin with. So we'll put a link down there if people are just curious about that. And then you can also check out tons of free resources and different skills and opportunities there to kind of get started in that process and maybe build some insight into if we might be a good fit to work together. Wonderful. Now, if you're listening to us on the podcast, then all the links that Kyra mentioned or will, you know, was referring to will be in the show notes. And if you're watching us on YouTube, then down below in the description section, once again, we will have the links for Kyra. Go check her out. As you've seen from the from the last two episodes, the conversations are very, very in-depth and we can carry on talking for a long time. But I think this topic 
is not discussed enough, especially not on entrepreneurial podcasts, because we're too busy focusing on strategy and what we need to do and not enough as to why we feel we need to do it. And I think shame is such an important topic that you need to uncover because I promise you, it will be playing in the background, you know, influencing major life decisions in, in, in your throughout your life up until now. And a lot of the time it's uh, it's cloaked in all the obligations and duties and the right choices. And, you know, sometimes those choices were not right for you, but you were wearing the cloak of shame uh, attached to, you know, if you didn't follow those choices, you know, where would you be? So it's been a fascinating conversation, Cara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. And thank you for listening to me and Cara today on Money Talkies. I will be back on another Money Talkie segment with another amazing guest, finding out how you and I can build a better business. Until the next time you meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, www.goalcard.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.